Now, wait a minute. That wasn't part of the game. Yes, it was. <laughs> Would you believe he used to change my diapers? No, I never did. I, I don't know, but it's great, great yeah, banner, great story, isn't it? That's right, that's right. It up, yeah. But let me tell you something about a great man here. He took a 15-year-old young man who was crazy, out of his mind, more energy. I mean, his older brother, Everett, always tells me, you need to go home and take two aspirin, young man, and call me tomorrow. You know, relax yourself. But he took time with me. He took time as a pastor should. He discipled me through many areas of ministry. He took time to listen to my heart. He took time to, when I would cry. And, you know, teenagers, you go through a lot of tough things. He took time, and he spent time with me. And he poured into my life. And every person that has come along in my ministry that has been touched, you've touched them through me. Oh, thank you. And you're a great man. Thank you. And I want this church to know that. Give him a hand. I love you so much. I really do. I love you. Thank you. Well, it is an opportunity, a privilege to be here today. Someone said, are you nervous? I said, no, I don't get nervous much. I said, I have this energy that I've got to burn off. So I was in the back doing jumping jacks, so I'd have sanity of mind to come out here and talk to you today. But uh, it's a privilege to be able to talk, and it's also a very somber responsibility. And uh, as I've been able to travel around different places over the years in ministry, as I've been able to go into different business endeavors, and some of my friends in the business world are here today. I love, love you dearly for coming. And... Um, I'll share with you a little funny story that happened to me one time on an airplane. How many of you like to fly? Good. How many of you do not like to fly? Half and a half. How many of you love the food on the airplane? Okay, there's two of us then. I will eat anything. I promise you that. I mean, if, it, if it's sitting in front of me and it doesn't eat me first, I will devour it. You know? So I was on the airplane, and now they have these new menus where you're able to choose what you want. You just have to pay for it, but you can have whatever you want. I mean, they have these a la gourmet cup of noodles they'll bring to you. Have you ever had those? They're pretty good, aren't they? And they'll bring you muffins, and they'll bring you sandwiches and all kinds of things. Well, as I tend to do, I tend to overorder, right? Even though I can eat a lot, I still order more than what I can eat. So I was ordering all this food, and it was coming. The lady was bringing it. She's swiping my car, and I'm like, you're having fun with that, aren't you? She said, yes, it's a great thing. It's just not coming to me. She said, but as long as it keeps swiping and paying, I'll keep bringing food to you. So I'm bringing this food. She's bringing it. I'm eating it. And after a while, I got full. And, you know, then it comes down to the time where you're about ready to land the plane. And I had this food sitting on a tray, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I'm looking around, figuring, how am I going to get this off the airplane? And I had nothing in my, my carry-on that I could use. I had nothing, uh, no bag around me, nothing in my, I couldn't put it in my pockets. And I looked in the flap in front of me, and I found this. Do you know what this is? It is an awesome snack bag. As a matter of fact, I opened it up and I thought, this is great. It's waxed. It's got a little tab tie on top. And I took that food and I stuck it down in this bag. And I was so proud of myself. I thought, now I'm going to be able to carry it. It's going to stay fresh. I can, I can enjoy it later. And I did this and I wrapped it up and I set it on my tray. About two minutes later... The, um, they don't call them stewardess anymore, the flight attendant, I'll get that right, came by and she says, oh, sir, let, let me take that from you. And as she reached for it, I grabbed it and recoiled. She looked at me with eyes that had wild abandonment in it, like, what's wrong with you? And I said, uh, she said, I'll take it and throw it away for you. I said, no, thank you, ma'am. I'm going to take this home and warm it up and eat it later. Another lady said next to me, she didn't see the whole thing. She, she heard, I overheard her, overheard her say to her husband, that man's really sick. There's something wrong with him. 
but I do love food. I want to take you on a quick journey with me this morning, something that's been near to my heart for many years. One of the things I want you to do right now, we had a great service last week, didn't we? So much opportunity to bring our burdens to Christ, get anointed with oil, to pray, to pray for each other. But I want to key in on that theme, and I want, to, want you to look around right now, and I want you to look in the eyes and the faces of the people sitting next to you. Take a look. So many times we come into church, and it's our thing to do on Sunday morning. We walk in, we shake a few hands, we grab a donut. If you're on a diet like me, you grab half a donut. You put the other half in the bag. We come in and we sit down and we, you know, we go through what our typical routine is in church. We sing, we give, we listen to somebody get up here and talk about a bag. It's not cool. And then we get up and we leave. And what happens in those intersecting moments, though? Do you ever stop and look around you and ask yourself this question, what is going on in the mind of the person next to me? What burden are they carrying? One of the things that I believe, I believe that church is a place where you're supposed to become and be real, and so many times we come into the church and we put on this facade because we need to impress everybody with how happy we are today, how good life is for us. We need to make the world think that we're ultra uber spiritual and we don't have any problems. And we spend so much time cleaning ourselves up on the outside when on the inside God's just wanting us to be real, to confess our faults one to another, to lay our burdens at his feet, to pray over one another. And so many times we get into the motions of churchianity and we lose the essence of what Christianity is really supposed to be. Are you with me? Years ago, I studied this passage we're going to look at today, and it's a very short book. It's one chapter, and it's tucked away in the epistles in the New Testament, and it's the book of Philemon. And today as we read through this, I'm going to show you the characters in the book, and we're going to make some application. And I want you to walk with me today, and I want you to think of this phrase. I want you to think about being somebody to somebody. A lot of times we also carry the burden of, I'm a failure. I don't have much to give. What is it that I can give to that person next to me? And if, my, if I believe my Bible, and if I know it to be true, which it is, the Bible teaches us that God will give us what he wants us to give to other people. So walk with me for just a few minutes, and look up on the screen, if you will. And if we can, have the, can we have those verses up there? And read through this with me. This letter is from Paul a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy, I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. Now, the understanding of that, Philemon was basically a pastor of a house church. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. This is the key verse. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now, as we get into this next section, that was basically the introduction as he lifts up Philemon. Verse 7, there's our key verse this morning. But then in verse 8, 
Go back and read with me now as we see the, the outline of the story and why Paul's writing this book. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because, because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this as a request for me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much, hasn't been, uh, of much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't. I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very own soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. There are three main characters in this very short narrative. First of all, you have... Philemon, as I said, he was the pastor of the house church, and uh, his wife was a part of that church, and Archippus uh, was pretty much understood to be his son, a fellow laborer in, in the faith there, and what a great story of a family serving God together and having a house church. And then you come across this guy named Onesimus. Onesimus, what it doesn't say in the dialogue, but what history shows us and what we understand as we study it out, is a runaway slave. And back during this time, if you were a slave and you ran away from your master, once you were caught, do you know that that was punishable by death? And so here Paul's on this missionary journey. He's out trying to help establish other churches, and he comes across this guy, Onesimus. And they begin to talk. And Onesimus ultimately gives his life to Christ. And here's Paul now wondering, now what do I do with this guy? If I send him home, the potential now is that he could be killed as a runaway slave. But if I don't send him home, is that the right thing to do? Because Philemon's there, Onesimus needs to go home. So Paul now steps in as this type of Christ. Now watch, it's a typology here. Paul now steps in, in the intercessory arena, he steps in as the advocate, and he pleads Onesimus' case to Philemon. Now a couple of things I want you to notice about Onesimus. Number one, Onesimus... Uh, Paul, Paul showed love to Onesimus, but it wasn't based on Onesimus' status. He's now an illegal runaway. It wasn't based on what he deserved. Now, the reason why I bring these points out is because as you look around the room today, as we begin to tie some of these pretty bows on this passage of Scripture, there are people around us who are feeling like they don't deserve to be loved. There are people around us today that are carrying burdens, and sometimes when you're that burdened, you can't even really feel the love of God in your life because that emotion's robbed from you. There's a lot of people today that feel they don't have great standing. 
One of the things that has always concerned me, and as I was leading the greeting team and we were uh, doing the parking lot detail and, and talking with the greeters and, and people coming into this place, it is very important to know that when a person steps foot, steps foot on this property for the first time, do you know what emotion they feel? It's a level of anxiety. It's a level of fear. It's a new place. And the one thing that I've said to all of our teammates is this, is that our job is to lay our burdens aside. Our job is now to give of ourselves, to minister to the people that walk into this place, because we have no idea what is going on behind their eyes. We have no idea the burden that they're carrying in their heart. That's why church cannot be just commonplace to us. Church cannot be just a, a, a place of routine. This needs to be a real place. One of the things I've said for many years is that the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. It's not about coming in in our pretty dress. It's not about coming in and showing how many scripture verses we know or how many songs we can sing or how pretty we are, how righteous we are, how great we are. Church is a place where I come with my needs. I bring them to the, to the, to the altar, if you will. I'm su supposed to be able to come around my friends and around fellow people that love Christ and I'm supposed to be able to share those burdens so we can carry each other's burdens. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Did I put you to sleep yet? Okay, I'm just checking. Because Pastor Tim, I'm five minutes in and I was worried. How many Onesimuses are running around in the world today that just need somebody to stop and pay attention to the burden that they're carrying, the station that they're in, and show them love? I'm going to make a really big statement to you that I've said before, and sometimes church people look at me like, what? But I've said in the past that sometimes I would rather be around biker people than church people. Yeah. Do you know why? Because sometimes we're so busy with a facade and keeping ourselves looking in a certain way that we can't get real with each other. When I walk into the biker world... I have no problem figuring out where I stand because they just look me in the eye and tell me. Whether they like me, whether they hate me, whatever, 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 they're going to look you in the eye and tell you that. And there's something about that reality that I've always found refreshing. I know where I stand. And sometimes when you get in the church setting, sometimes we're so busy being spiritual, we're missing the own, our own sin in our lives. And we're so busy being critical or talking or gossiping sometimes. And sometimes we miss the fact that God just brought someone right into my space that I need to minister to. Where's the Onesimus in the room today? So look at, look at this. Paul intercedes on Onesimus' behalf. Paul then goes above and beyond, and he offers to pay for whatever debt Onesimus has back to Philemon. Paul is willing to take cash out of his pocket, lay it on the line. I love this verse in James. He says, when someone comes to you and, and, and asks you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? When someone comes to you and says, you know, I need a coat, do you give them one or do you give them two? And in every one of our lives, and I'm going to share several stories today, there's this thing called the wall of shame where we blow it, we miss it, and there's this thing called the wall of fame. I was living in a condo complex in Worcester, Massachusetts at this particular time, and it just so happened we were at the end of the building in our little, little townhouse, and across the end of the parking lot in front of us was the dumpster. 
And I'll never forget one night, I heard this noise outside of there, and of course my kids were very little, so I'm highly protective. And I looked out the window to see what it was, and there was a man dumpster diving in the dumpster. Now let me tell you very sadly what my first reaction was. Who is this man diving in this dumpster in front of my place? And what in the world is he doing? And so I noticed that he was pulling cans out of the dumpster and sticking them into a little bag on a basket on his bicycle. Still had a critical attitude. And I walked away from the doorway, away from the window, and I walked back into the house. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God just slammed me with a hammer. And he said, you've got three bags of cans at the bottom of your steps. Why don't you give them to him? And in that moment, I felt conviction over my own hypocrisy. In that moment, I felt conviction over my negativity, looking at something, and I should have never thought like that in the beginning, but I'm being honest. I'm being very transparent. I did. And I remember I ran downstairs. I looked at the bags. I brought them upstairs. I ran to the door, and I opened the door, and the man was gone. And my heart sank. I was like, you know, you claim to be a a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is someone out there in great need, and you couldn't see past the nose on your face. That's a big nose, right? You can laugh at that. It's hereditary. You could not see past yourself to see the need of someone that is really desperate in this moment. And I remember sitting down in that chair and my heart sunk. I was like, man, I missed it. I blew it. Now what do I do? And I started praying, God, help me redeem this situation. And God, as merciful as he is, about 20 minutes later, I heard somebody in the dumpster again. Now my attitude was different. I ran outside as fast as I could. I climbed up on the dumpster and I leaned over inside of it. And I said, hey buddy, what are you doing? Of course the look on his face was priceless. These are my cans. (laughs) And I said, well, what's the matter? And he pulled up his hand because he'd I'd been sticking his hand in the bags and not paying attention. His hand was cut and he was bleeding. So we brought him in the house, we bound his hand up, we cleaned up his wound, we put bandages on it, and I said, I've got three bags of cans I'd love to give to you. Here this moment of truth comes, you'll love this one. He looks at me, he's like, man, thanks, Davey. He could never get my name right. He said, thanks, Davey. He said, I have a question for you. He said, can you help me carry them down to the liquor store so I can get them exchanged? And I thought, well, you're teaching me something now, aren't you? I'm going to the liquor store. And we did gave him the money. But do you see how close it is many times, that line, that small thread of attitude is in our lives, folks? Do you understand what it is many times that when we get so full of ourselves and we're not full of God, we miss the opportunities that God brings into our lives for us to minister to other people? So Paul intercedes. Paul pays his debt. The other thing Paul does is... is um, He puts his own reputation on the line for Onesimus. When was the last time you stepped out or I stepped out to help a person and we literally put our reputation on the line to help a person maybe find a job, to help a person uh, take care of a situation that they're in? And we really took the time to extend ourselves beyond the four walls of this church and beyond the phraseology, hey, I'll pray for you. 
And we took the time to go and spend time with that person, pour our life into that person, give of our money to that person, put our reputation on the line for that person, because that's what Paul did as a type of Christ. Paul didn't have to do anything. That was another point that really stuck, stuck with me. Paul did not have to do anything. He didn't have to step out of his way in any way, shape, or form, but he felt led to really reach out and touch somebody's life. When you look at Onesimus, and you look at verse number 7 with me, I'm sorry, Philemon, Paul writes the book, and this is a verse that stuck with me because this is the verse that I carried as a marching order in my life. He says, your love has given me much joy and comfort. My brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. This is out of the NLT. In the King James Version, it says this phrase. It says, the bowels of the saints are refreshed by you, brother. Isn't it awesome when you come into church and you find those choice people that are giving smiles, shaking your hand, putting their arm around you, giving you a hug? Isn't there something refreshing about someone that's giving of themselves and pouring positive emotion into your life? Doesn't that just warm you? Isn't that what church should be like? If you stop right now and you look around at the eyes of the people that are next to you, ask yourself this question. What burden are they carrying? And how can I help them? Several things real fast. Number one, I don't always feel like helping people. That's very evident by my first story. I may not always have the means to help someone. That's very evident sometimes by just the fact of where we are in our station in life. I may not always know what to do to help someone. That's evident because I don't know everything. But what we do know is that we have a God that is greater than me. We have people around us that have resources that are greater than mine. God's resources are greater than mine. And we have a church full of people that if we bind together, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if we bind together and love this world for Christ right where they're at, these seats that are right in front of you right now cannot hold the amount of people that God will bring through the doors because they will go out of here and they will say, this place down the street called Crossroads, there is so much love in this place and the people will be drawn to that love of Christ that we exude out of our lives and this place will fill every empty chair in here. Do you believe that? In the past, I would challenge our leadership teams, and I would say this. I would say, how do you handle it if someone is drunk and walks through the door? I read about where you guys sit, Bart. Several years ago, quite a number of years ago, there was a man that came into our service drunk. And we were in a very traditional church setting at the time, piano on one side, organ on the other. And I was uh, the music director in that church. And uh, this man came in, and about two minutes before we begin to start the service, here's what he does. Hey, can we sing when the rose called up yonder? And the place went dead silent. Everybody's now looking at me. There's about six or 700 people in that auditorium, and they're going, what's Rich going to do now? And you know, it's just a God moment. I look left. I, we all know that song, right, from traditional hymns and things. And, and they knew the, she knew the number. She knew the number. I knew the number. I said, yeah, we'll sing it for you. And you should have seen the look that came over his face. And you should have seen the tension just get released in that church. 
We ministered to him in that moment. That man's name was Mike. And the people that brought Mike were able to witness to Mike. And Mike was able to receive the gospel presentation in a very real way that day because we didn't snuff him off. You with me? What would church be like if we would really get out of ourselves? If we would really break out of that shell? You say, man, I don't even know what to say to people. Walk up, stick out your hand and say, hi, my name's Rich. What's yours? It's that easy. Where do you live? What do you do? What brought you here today? One of the things that I've struggled with as a pastor was this. If I have a burden on my heart, who do I get to go to? Who can I call on the phone and count on that would pray with me and not judge me? Who is it that I can get on my knees with when my heart's broken and let the tears flow down my face and I can cry with and somebody's going to care for me, someone that's truly going to love me and not judge me and look at me and I hate being on this pedestal because it's like, Pastor, you're supposed to have all the answers. Really? Pastor, you're not supposed to have any problems. Pastor, you're supposed to have it all worked out. Listen, I deal with the same flesh you deal with every day. I deal with crises, I deal with emotional problems, I deal with things that every other person deals with. And yes, pastors, preachers, teachers, leaders are supposed to understand that we can go to the Bible. But where do we get to grab the hand of our brother? Who's going to get on our knees, on their knees next to me and pray with me? So that's me on the block right now being transparent. But many of you that are sitting here, you know exactly what I'm talking about today because you're sitting here wondering who can I talk to? And if you're visiting and you're new, you don't know anybody. And so the church has got to step out of itself. Until we have a breakthrough with some of these, some of these uh, ideologies in our head and some of these thought lines, we're never going to have a breakout in the way the Holy Spirit wants us to have, in a way that we can reach out and touch other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel was real, Jesus was real, we need to get off our pedestal, get off our little soapboxes, and reach out and touch people with our hands, with our hearts, with our eyes, with our mouth. It's too easy to come in and walk out. You say, man, are you chiding us? No, what I'm trying to say is, is that if you can catch a vision of loving someone beyond even your own capacity, because the Holy Spirit says what? He says, open your mouth, I'll fill it. He says, you won't have to worry about what you're going to say in that moment, I'll give it to you. You say, you don't have money to help someone, then pray for the money to God to give it, for God to give it to you so that you can give it to the other person. One of the things that I learned to believe years ago was this, is that giving is not giving until it hurts. You say, what do you mean? Well, there's this old story in the Bible, one of my favorites about giving. There's this lady who was a widow. You know where I'm going? She had two pieces of coin that were worth about half a cent, and that was all she had. And she came at the end of the service, as they would do in, a, in, in that culture, and, and they would put their money in this box, in, in this basket or whatever, and she gave all that she had, and Jesus, who was watching this, watched rich people come by, who gave out of there, the Bible says, abundance. But she gave all that she had. And so many times we get caught up in this trap where we're trying to hang on to things because we don't think we have enough, and we diminish the power of God in our lives because he wants us to empty the glass 
totally so that he can fill it back up again, so that we can empty it again, so that he can fill it back up again. And what I learned is that giving is not really giving unless it hurts. You say, you're crazy. Maybe so. But the one thing I've been able to see is I've been able to see God give and outgive me many, many times over. One of the things I've been able to enjoy is, is being able to see God increase my faith when I would get it right. And so when you look around this room today, don't let church just be an event where you walk in, walk out, look at the people on the stage and say, bless me if you can, because I'm going to go on back to my world. Walk in and get a hold of something that's going to change your life and that you can give to someone else and make a difference. Because the world's hurting. And if we really claim to have what we say we have, we should be embracing it for all that we're worth, the love of Christ, and showing it to the world that's in dire pain and cannot find the answers. What should church be like? Be somebody to somebody. There's a time I got it right. I was a pastor in Knox, Indiana, and um, our church one night was having this get-together, and we had a lot of food left over after our get-together. And, and as I go into this story, let me ask you this. Here's a litmus test, Christian. Do you really hear God speak to you? Are you so in tune with the Holy Spirit that you hear him speak to you? It's a question for all of us. And I was wondering what I was going to do with the food, and the people that were in the meeting that night didn't need it. No one was really crazy about taking it home. And I was like, okay, well, who is someone that's needy that we can give it to? And God laid a man's name on my heart by the name of Dave. Now, Dave Buley was an assistant pastor in a church in the same community just on the other side of town. Dave Buley and I actually had gone to college together, so when he came into the community, we had a great time getting reacquainted and getting to know each other. And Dave had four children, and Dave wound up becoming the principal of a Christian school, and that church and the school were going through a very tough times, so here's how Dave would get his salary. They told him, Dave, if you go out and you collect the past due tuitions, we'll let you use that towards your salary. So wait a second, I've got to run the school, work with the curriculum, do some of the teaching, work with the teachers, and then go out and become the debt collector to bring the money in so I can make sure my salary is paid. Yeah, that's what he was told. Tough deal, would you agree? And for whatever reason, God laid Dave Buley's name on my heart. And I said, let's gather this up. I know a pastor that I'm sure could use some food. So we drove over to Dave Buley's house, and we knocked on the door, and it was later in the evening, probably between 9 and 10 o'clock. And Dave answered the door, and he said, hey, Rich, what's happening? And I said, Dave, I said, I don't know why, but God laid it on my heart and our heart to bring you this food. And he said, man, thank you so much. And he took the food, thanked us, hugged our necks, and we went on our way. Now I want you to go forward seven years. I started a church up in Framingham, Massachusetts called Cornerstone Community Church. And as we began to build our pastoral team, one of the people that came back across my radar screen was Dave Buley. 
And Dave Bewley came into our church. He and his family moved there. We brought him on as, um, as, uh, as one, of our, one of our pastoral team. And, of course, Dave and I had a great relationship. We'd been to college together, had a lot of great love for each other. And a few weeks after being there, Dave sat me down and he said, I need to tell you something. He said, do you remember the night you came to my house and brought that food? I said, um, I began to think. And he said, do you remember? Remember you knocked on my door? And I said, yeah, Dave, I do remember that. And the tears began to roll down his face. And he said, Rich, I didn't tell you this that night. He said, but I had just put my children to bed without anything to eat. He said, I was on my knees praying. And you knocked on my door. What if I didn't listen? That's not a yay rich story. That's a cool God story. Do you agree? There are people with burdens all around you. There are people that need to be refreshed by the people that are in this place. When I first came back here, my heart was broken. I'd gone through some difficult things, and I sat right on that back row against that wall, and I sat there, and I would sit there by myself, and I would watch church happen, and the tears would roll down my face. And it was the people in this church. Remember Mrs. Alexander coming up and wrapping her arms around my neck and saying, man, we're glad to see you. It's good to see you. We love you. And my folks and the people that I know. I'm going to ask Nicole to come sing a song in just a second because there's a, there's, I, was, I was preparing for this the other day. It's like God was just pounding me with things. And there was, there was a song. You might have heard his name is Chris Blue. He sang this song on The Voice, Take It to the King. And I'm reading this verse. And I'm studying this passage. And I'm thinking about the, the points for this, for this message, simple talking points today. No great theological outline, but yet a verse and a point that will just change lives if we would just apply it. And a tear started rolling down my face. Because God is good. He gives you what you need if you're listening. And another story came to mind, and this is the one I'm going to close with because this is one of the toughest ones I've ever dealt with. I've been bivocational most of the time. I never asked money from the churches, not that they didn't pay me. I just didn't go in and negotiate a salary. I said, it's your job to take care of me and my job to take care of you. We're going to leave it at that. Whatever you pay, I'll try to live on. If I need to, I'm going to go to work. And that's what I did a lot of times. And I would start businesses in the security field, in the audio video field. And, and so we had this church that we started in Framingham Mass names, um, named, named Cornerstone. And we had a huge launch. Our first Sunday, we had 110 people walk through the door. It's an incredible day. Spent six weeks preparing for that, training people, praying, and I mean praying, serving the community, passing out tens, literally tens of thousands of flyers. And 110 people came in the door. It's a hallelujah day. And now we're scrambling. We're scrambling, working as hard as we can to get to know people. Our team was new. The people were new. The needs were new. And we're working as hard as we can and as fast as we can. And we're trying to assimilate people and help them, you know, come to Christ if that's where they were or grow in their faith or get to know other people and starting small groups and all kinds of things. And about nine months into it, I was in a training center with my company 
doing a training and my cell phone went off. I didn't recognize the number, and typically I won't answer at that point. I'll wait to hear the voicemail, but something said, you need to answer this phone call. And I said, excuse me. I stepped away. I walked into my office, and I answered the phone. And there was a man on the phone named John who was crying. And John said, are you Pastor Henry? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been trying to find you for three days. He said, I have a very sad story to tell you. He said, I'm here at my daughter's place. He said, all her affairs are laid out on the table. He said, my daughter stepped in front of a train three nights ago and committed suicide. He said, we couldn't find the number to your church, and we were using, since we didn't have an office, we were using a virtual number, and that number had changed somewhere along the way, and he had the old number, not the new number, and those numbers rang all of our pastoral cell phones. You with me? Because we wanted to make sure we connected with people, and it didn't happen. He said, this was literally my last phone call before I got up and packed things up, and I I went back to Long Island. He said, can you please come? I said, sir, I will be right there. Give me 30 minutes. I walked out. The guy who was my assistant, I said, you're in charge of training for the rest of the day. I have an emergency. I need to go. I got in my car, and I was beating feet as fast as I could go. I called the other pastoral staff members, got a hold of one of them. Pastor Vinny met me there, and we walked in to a mom and a dad so brokenhearted, crying because their daughter was gone. Listen, I had no clue. Now, it's not my fault that she committed suicide. But what I have to ask myself responsibility-wise is, how did I miss getting connected with her? And then the answer comes back, well, Richard, you're not perfect. You can't meet every need. You can't possibly talk. How did I miss my connection with her? How did we not see this need? And although I can't bear fault for what happened in her life, what I can bear is that drive to go forward and to make myself a better Christian, to make myself a better connector with people, to make myself a person that's going to smile better in the midst of my pain, to make myself better at becoming the one that refreshes the hearts of God's people when they walk in the door, because I literally have no idea what you're carrying in your heart when you come into this place. That was one of the toughest funerals I've ever preached, and I have literally done hundreds of them over 25 years of full-time ministry. We drove to Long Island. We did the memorial service. We did a service at our church. And I will never forget the pain and the look in their eyes. So here's what I know. I know that everybody in this room has some element of pain. Do you agree? Come on, church, do you agree? And I know that every one of us has the capacity and the opportunity to reach out and help the people that are sitting right next to us. Now look around again real close. Come on, look at some eyes. The eyes are the windows of the soul. So what are we going to do to be somebody to somebody in the name of Jesus? 
What are we going to do to minister and refresh the hearts of God's people? What are we going to do to lift up the people? So many people, I watched, I stood in an amazement last week, and I saw all the people that were standing in lines to be anointed with oil to pray, have people, someone pray over them. So what are we going to do? Are you willing to make a difference? Will you be that refresher? Will you be that one that someone can look at you and say, my heart is touched by you. You've made a difference to me and in my life. I love you. Thank you for pouring yourself into me. Would you bow your heads and pray with me for a moment?